Do you trust God? I know that sounds like a strange thing to ask, especially if you're a Christian. But really think about it for a moment. Do you trust God? Or do you struggle with doubt and fear? My name is Keegan Peck, and this is the Odyssey Home. If we were to talk about trusting another person, what would that look like? Think of someone in your life that you trust implicitly. They care about you. They are faithful to you. They want what is best for you. Do you have someone like that in your life? We need to see and experience these qualities and maybe a few more in a person before we could say that we trust them. And even then, are there limits to that trust? For instance, do you trust someone with money, but not with a secret? Do you trust someone with their abilities, but not with something else? If so, why is that? Could it be because we know they're human and imperfect? That at one point or another, despite their intentions, they will mess up and let you down. And every time someone messes up, they violate your trust a little bit, in one form or another. Those mistakes make it just a little bit harder to trust them. Even if you know they love you. But we still want to trust, don't we? Don't we want to have that relationship with someone and feel the wholeness of a relationship where someone else has your back? We want that. And so, if we haven't closed off the world, we still try to connect with others in that way. But as hard as it is to trust someone else, it seems we often have more trouble trusting God. Which is odd if we are Christians, isn't it? We of all people should be able to trust in the God we serve. But we still struggle. Is it because we can't see His miracles like others in the Bible? Maybe for a moment we could argue that point. However, if we open up Scripture, we see time after time 
where God showed his people his power and that he would take care of them. But they still struggled to trust him. We could look at the Israelites as they were led out of Egypt toward the Promised Land. They witnessed miracle after miracle and the power of God taking care of their every need. But they constantly doubted God and His power. So maybe our inability to witness miracles firsthand isn't really the problem. Maybe, like so many other things, it comes down to one thing. And in this case, that one thing is hope. I don't mean hope as in, I hope things work out well. I mean hope as in the certainty of the power and authority of God, whom we serve. Even saying, I hope I get to heaven, is a far cry from real hope. Because if we don't believe in Christ's power to save and the mercy of our Heavenly Father, then how can we ever trust Him? If we aren't anchored in the hope of His love, then where are we left? Adrift in a sea of doubt and anxiety. The Hebrews writer in chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, wrote this, For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Verses 17 and 18 mention that God desired to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose. So God didn't only say it would be so, which is more than enough of a promise, because God cannot lie. But he also interposed an oath. God interposed a covenant between Abraham and his descendants in Genesis chapter 17. God wanted so badly to show Abraham and his future generations that he was committed to what he said. He wanted them to find hope and assurance in his promise, so that they would take refuge in his word and be encouraged. But here's something interesting. At first, it seems the Hebrews writer is talking about Abraham 
and the covenant with him and his descendants. Which, wouldn't that really be talking about either Abraham being a prosperous nation or them obtaining the promised land? If that's the case, then why does the writer switch to speaking in the present tense and a current hope? Wouldn't that promise have already been fulfilled and in the past? If we go back to Genesis chapter 17, verses 6 through 8, there's something very interesting that I've normally glossed over, and perhaps you have too. In chapter 17, verses 6 through 8, God says to Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Did you catch that? He talked about the possession of the land of Canaan and being a fruitful nation, true. But did you hear what he said in verse 7? I want to read that again. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. He says, an everlasting covenant to be their God. God to Abraham and his descendants after him throughout their generations. And since we know Jesus would come through that lineage, we are also part of this promise. We are also descendants. We have been grafted in, as Paul discusses in depth in Romans chapter 11 which is perhaps why the Hebrews writer can talk about the promise in the present tense, and why this also applies to all followers of God in the past, present, and future. God made a covenant between His people, all His people, to be their God. And if He is our God then shouldn't we have an anchor for our souls? Can't we hold on to this promise from Him that if we believe and are baptized in the blood of His Son, we will be saved, that our sins have been washed away, and that we have a home with Him waiting for us? Can't we have complete confidence in Him? If we flip forward a few chapters to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we find this passage with which we are all familiar. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We can have this assurance in God. We can have true, unwavering hope in God. We can rest assured 
that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of David, and the prophets, the God who sent His Son to die for us, is the same God. He is the God who stopped at nothing to have a relationship with His creation. He wants a relationship with you that is full of trust. He wants you to put your hope in Him, to know that no matter what happens in this life, you can rest in the knowledge, the assurance, that He is waiting for you in heaven. To welcome you with open arms and to spend all of eternity with you. That is the promise of God. That is our hope. And that is why we can trust Him with full and complete confidence. This episode was written and produced by me, Keegan Peck, with theme music by Amy Ferris and additional music by selections from Epidemic Sound. For more information, please visit the show's website at theodysseyhome.com. That's the Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y, home.com. There you can find more information about the podcast and a way to contact me. I'd love to hear from you. Watch for future episodes released every two weeks. See you next time. And thanks for listening.